When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I am Martha Shedden, and I have the pleasure of being here today with Skip Schweiss. Skip is a certified financial planner and an accredited investment fiduciary. He currently serves as president of the Financial Planning Association, FPA, the principal membership organization for certified financial planners and those who support the financial planning process. A distinguished financial services executive and advocate for more than 30 years, Skip's career has been focused on serving the needs of registered investment advisors and increasing the awareness of financial advice delivered with a fiduciary standard of care. Welcome, Skip. Thank you very much, Martha. It's great to be with you. Yes, I really appreciate you being on our show. Um, Let's start out with you telling us a little bit of your story. What led you to become interested in financial services? And, and also, I'd love to know how you became president of the, the FPA. Sure. So uh, I got a, uh, a business degree uh, way back in the day and, uh, you know, just a general business administration degree. And I wasn't sure what to do with that. Uh, I worked in uh, the retail business for a few years, and then I figured out I was going to be working Saturdays for the rest of my career while my friends were out playing. So I moved away from that, and someone recruited me to sell life insurance and mutual funds, and I tried that for a year, and I wasn't very good at it, nor did I like it, but I really liked the mutual fund part. I really That gave me a flavor for financial services that I really enjoyed, so I went about finding a role where I could be in financial services, maybe not in direct sales, and I landed at a company called Fiserv. Uh, their primary uh, business is providing technology and process outsourcing for banks. I worked there for 20 years, got into their, uh, they were starting up an advisor custody business, and I got into that and worked there for most of that time. And then TD Ameritrade bought our business in 2008, and I was fortunate to join TD Ameritrade at that time. And I was responsible then for my 12-year tenure there for our retirement plan servicing business, as well as the last 10 years I was there for our public policy advocacy work. So that's sort of my, my quick career. I think there was a 
second question there. That well, I'm, I'm just wondering how you became president of FPA. Is that a, an annual annual position or how does that work? It is, yes. So uh, in my public policy advocacy work, I was working with uh, various trade associations, including the Financial Planning Association. And one day we were walking around Capitol Hill and one of the, at the time, president of FPA tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, have you ever thought about potentially serving on the FPA board? And I said, I hadn't, but I gave it some thought. I looked into it. I ended up throwing my hat in the ring and was fortunate to get elected to a three-year term in, I guess it would have been 2017, 18, 19. And then someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, have you ever thought about throwing your hat in the ring to lead the organization? And I did some more soul searching and and whatnot and and threw my hat in the ring for that and was fortunate to be elected. So I was president-elect in 2020. I am president this year of the organization. It is for calendar year 2021. So a little past halfway as we record this. Uh, in my tenure as president of FPA. Love the organization, 19,000 members across the country. And um, it's a great challenge and a great opportunity to continue being deeply engaged in this industry and profession that I love. That's wonderful. And I'm sure they're they're really lucky to have you. So you might argue, but... (laughs) You mentioned TD Ameritrade trade and the retirement plan solutions platform. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little more about that? What exactly what type of help did that provide? And was there anything missing in that? Sure. So TD Ameritrade had um, in its simplest form, we had two sides to our business. We had the side that most people would know is the retail brokerage side where you or I might open an account and buy stocks or mutual funds or something for, for our financial security. Uh, we also served as a custodian for investment advisors and their clients. That was the institutional side of our business. And that's where I worked. And investment advisors would be working with business owners to advise them on their retirement plan, uh, typically a 401k, not always. Um, and then we would custody the assets. We would process all the transactions Uh, We would uh, do the record keeping to make sure this pool of assets that a company had in its 401k plan was properly allocated to each of the employees and all of the all the kind of testing and record keeping that goes along with all of that, maintaining the legal documents and putting up the the website where you or I as an employee would go and check on our account balances and make investment changes and all of that. So we were kind of the back office for uh, investment advisors working with with businesses on their retirement plans. I see. Throughout your career then, what are, what is the most common issue that retirees face with retirement or what mistakes do you see retirees making in relationship to their finances and specifically social security if you've had any um, experience with that? Yeah, I, I have. Uh, you know, I've seen many, many surveys of retirees that ask them, uh, you know, what's your biggest regret or your biggest mistake as far as retirement? And I think every single one of those surveys I've seen said their number one mistake or regret is not starting to save early enough or not saving enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's true for many of us, uh, many of us Americans. Uh, you know, retirement, when you first start in the workforce, it just seems so far away. Mm-hmm. It's decades away, and we have so many other expenses. We've got student loans, and we've got rent, and we've got car payments and insurance, and it seems hard to justify putting money away for something that's decades away. But then you get into your, your 30s and 40s, and you start to think, maybe I should, it's getting closer, maybe I should start and it's just never soon enough. Uh, so that's one. And then Social Security, you know, many, many people claim it as soon as they're able at age 62, generally. But as you well know, uh, you get a reduced benefit if you start claiming early. Uh, there should be a lot of factors that go into that. You should get uh, good advice on that. You know, what's your, your health situation? Uh, you know, what's your longevity in your family? Uh, are you still planning to work or, you know, there's so many factors there that right. should go into that rather than just, well, I'm 62, I'm entitled to a check, I should apply. So I th- people, I think, really should think through that and get professional guidance on that. Yes. And I, I don't know, I've always found that that word retirement, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean quitting work and starting social security benefits. It's, you can quit work and not start, or you can start your benefits and not quit working. So it's just a matter of educating and that the same thing about saving early, educating, consume. We need to be educated when we're younger because that compounding growth is phenomenal if you start early. Like Absolutely. And I'm, I'm a big yeah. believer we don't do a good enough job of educating younger people in personal finance when they're in high school and college. Right. Just all, we all tend to have to learn that in our twenties and thirties, as we're starting out making those decisions, we probably all make some mistakes along the way that I think we could do better. And then as we approach that social security or or that retirement decision, you make a great point. It's not just all about stopping work and then starting social security. Sometimes there's overlap there. Sometimes there's a gap there. Uh, Of course, you know that the longer you wait up to age 70, depending on your age, uh, that the benefit, the lifetime benefit goes up, up, up. So there's a lot of benefit in that. But again, everyone's situation is different. Maybe their health is not allowing them to work or they've got a shortened life expectancy, something like that. So there's no one right or wrong answer that applies to everyone. Yeah. And I've done many, many cases and no two are the same (laughs) for that. I read a previous interview you did that uh, stated that Americans need to stop thinking about retirement occurring at age 65 because people are working and living longer. And I, um, it's interesting that age 65, a lot of people think that's also full retirement age for Social Security because it's so tied in with Medicare. And we all get those ARP um, signups when we're 50, which a lot of people don't like getting those. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but um, what are some of the not so obvious effects on retirement planning with people living and working longer? Well, I go back to, you know, we're all living, not of course every person, but as a society, uh, we're living longer, longer and longer. Uh, We, I think, get smarter over the generations about health and taking care of ourselves and nutrition and so on. And and medical care continues to get better and better. 
and is going to continue. And you've seen some crazy predictions about what life expectancies might be for, say, our children or our grandchildren or, or their children uh, getting it up into the hundreds. So, yeah. but we tend to have this fixed uh, idea that 65 is retirement age. And I actually did my master's thesis a long time ago, I want to emphasize, on the social security system. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, my goodness. And when the system rolled out in 1937, I believe it was, and the age 65 was pegged at full retirement age, yeah. life expectancy was something like 63. Yeah. It, was, it was designed for people who outlived their, you know, the average life expectancy and didn't have the means to to provide for themselves in retirement. Right. And today, of course, life expectancies have gone from 63 to something like 80. And all we've done with that retirement age is move it from 65 to 67. So we really haven't kept pace. The system hasn't kept pace with, with the expanded life expectancies. Of course, it's gonna take a lot more money to fund our lifestyles you know, to age 80. And, and a lot of people are living into their 90s. Right. So. There's a macro impact there on the social security system. We all read every year the actuaries uh, report that uh, says the system's going to run out of money in somewhere around 2033. Yeah. And that again, seems like a long ways away, uh -uh. but it's a dozen years and benefits are going to come down if something isn't done to, uh, to stabilize the system. And then at a micro level for us individuals, if I retire and I stop working at 65, but I live to 80 or 90, that is a long, long time to somehow replace my paychecks for uh, 15, 20, 30 years. Uh, that's a pretty big challenge. It is. And on the other side of that, with the Social Security benefits, though, even um, you know the average benefit of I forget what it is, maybe 1500 this About year, right. yeah. um, 20 or 30 years, that's three, 400,000 per person over those years. So it's a financial asset that should be managed along with, with our other finances. Good point. How about the SECURE Act of 2019 that changed retirement plans in the U.S.? What are your feelings about that? And what should people know about it? Yeah, I, you know, I haven't looked at it in a, in a while. I was actually involved in the probably mid-teens uh, in lobbying for some of these changes, including pushing the required minimum distribution age back from 70 uh -huh. and a half to 72. That's a recognition that, again, people are living longer and working longer and maybe shouldn't have to take money out of their retirement account Right. as soon as, as 70 and a half. And I know there's movement now to maybe push that back to 75 in coming years, uh, which I think is a positive. It doesn't mean people can't take money out of their account if they need yeah. to, but they wouldn't be forced to. Uh, so that's one change. Uh, another change was getting more part-time workers into 401k plans, whereas they didn't qualify before. I think that's a great move um, because there's so many part-time workers. If, if you're going to school or you're raising children or something like that, and you're working part-time, it's great to be able to be uh, joining your company's 401k plan. We know also from lots of surveys and studies that if people aren't saving for retirement through work, they probably aren't saving for retirement. 
uh, and the IRA contribution limits are fairly low. Um, you're not going to, even if you can max that for many years, uh, that's good, but it is probably not going to be enough. So there are a number of changes like that in the SECURE Act, and I'm sure I'm missing some, some relevant ones here, but uh, there is a bipartisan recognition. There aren't a lot of things bipartisan anymore in, in Washington, but there's bipartisan recognition that we have a problem societally, that uh, people are not saving enough for retirement, and we need to sort of open the system up more uh, to let more people in into the system and, and make it easier for them to save for retirement. Yes, and that employer-based is, is such a good way because, and then if they're automatically um, put into that and they have to opt out, yep. they're kind of forced. I mean, because hardly anyone's getting a defined benefit pension plan anymore. So right. that needs to be replaced. And it's been what, since the late 70s when individual retirement accounts were set up? I think it was. Late 70s or early 80s, 80s. yeah. Um, and that doesn't really work. We're not saving like like we should. Agreed. It, it's largely government employees at this point that have the defined benefit plans. Right. Uh, and that leaves an awful lot of the rest of us who are on our own. And it's just really easy if I do it through work and you know my employer takes that money out of my pay and puts it in my, my retirement account before right. I ever see it. Uh, I've really enjoyed that system throughout my working career. Right. Can you share something that you have experienced or discovered in your work or your past work that listeners would be surprised to know? Something I've discovered in my work? Or something you've learned or something that would surprise us to know about you? Oh, about me? Yeah. Or um, anything, anything you want. Uh, some people, people who know me know this, but I'm a mountaineer. Uh, at least oh. I fancy myself a mountaineer. Uh, so I, I was born and raised in South Dakota, but I followed, I met a girl in college there and I, I followed her to Colorado and, uh, she and I have just been married 35 years. So that's, oh, uh, congratulations. Thank you. That's a, that story, uh, worked out nicely, but, um, she moved to Colorado to live with her sister at the time who lived here. And I thought, well, I'll follow her to Colorado. I'll live there a couple of years and maybe I'll go back to South Dakota or something. Well, here I am. And I, I just fell in love with the mountains and uh, do a lot of uh, hiking, trekking, uh, ascending, climbing in Colorado and up and down the West Coast and uh, have done two or three uh, trips internationally as well. Wow. So that's something that really uh, I love. I love the challenge of it and and the satisfaction, the the feeling of achievement of that. And we'll continue to do that as long as my body allows. Uh -huh. uh, another thing going back much further that not very many people know about me is I'm an Eagle Scout. Oh, uh, that, that's something I'm, I'm one of seven children and my parents insisted that all seven of us uh, reach the highest level of scouting. So that was a great experience. Wow. Well, yeah. that probably contributes to your leadership skills now. Yeah. yeah. On the topic of Social Security, if you had the power to decide how to extend the Social Security program, we were talking about a couple of those facets of how that can be done. Um, what changes would you make and why? Yeah, I know the, uh, the Biden administration, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this year has proposed uh, 
adding the social security tax to people who make over $400,000 a year. Uh, I think this year the cap is about 142,000. So we all pay social security tax up to 142,000 of income. Beyond that, we don't. So the president has proposed picking that up again at 400. Um, hard to hard to predict where you know if if that might pass or not. But the to me the single thing to do it would be to index that full retirement age to lifespans. We've got to index that and not keep going back. I mean, we made that change from 65 to 67 back in 1983. So 30 years ago, uh, almost 40 years ago, uh, we made that change. Well, lifespans have expanded dramatically since then. We need to index it to life expectancy somehow. That doesn't mean changing the age for someone who's right on the threshold. I don't think you need to do that, you know, a 60-year-old. But it does mean I think we need to change the age the full retirement age for people, you know, in their early, you know, in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe. We don't want to move the goalposts too much for people who are getting closer. Uh, but I think you do need to move it uh, for, for people who are further away. And I think that would stabilize the system, would go a long ways toward stabilizing the system. What On the other end, I've heard some talk of um, raising the early claiming age from 62, because a lot of people, like you said, they, they think, well, I'm 62 now, I should start. And there's this perception. And what if there was that, that you're really going to lose money if you start then, if there was more focus on that or that was raised? I think that's a valid point as well. Uh, you know, today we kind of have these three ages. We have 62, you can start. We have the full retirement age, which for someone in my generation is 67, and then we have the 70, which is where that benefit caps out. Uh, you probably need to move all of those up again to, to reflect longer working lives and longer lifespans. I'm as we sit here, I'm 59 years old, and I can't, I'm, I plan to work for quite a while longer. I love yeah. working now. Again, not everyone is has that option, but I can't imagine starting to claim Social Security at 62. And again, I go back to, I acknowledge there are many people for whom that is a good option and, and perhaps the best option for them. Right. Yes. But there, there are um, definitely a lot of factors that come into play on Social Security. And I've seen charts of all the different tweaks and modifications that can be made, very small ones, or like you said, for folks in the future, like in 19. 19- 83, when they change from 66 to 67, those people are just now reaching retirement age. And you, as you mentioned, that's your full retirement age is 67. Right. Yeah. The other uh, topic that just came to my mind when you mentioned about the, um, about the RMDs being raised from 70 and a half to 72 and possibly higher. And I know from my work with Social Security that Social Security income can be taxed. That's another item that has not been indexed. And so now so many more people, their Social Security income is being taxed. But are you aware of that connection between, like you said, you don't have to wait till 72 to take RMDs. And as a gap between, when you have that income gap between starting Social Security, that there can be a tax advantage to using some of the retirement funds, which are 100% taxable in that intervening, those intervening years. Do you, do you think 
CFPs are helping their clients with that topic? Boy, I sure hope they are. You know, and, and of course, every CFP provides a different set of services to their clients. But this is critical. I think uh, it, I often hear from CFPs that uh, when clients approach them for help, it's usually maybe their late 50s when they're starting to say, see, gosh, I can kind of see retirement from here now. And I, uh-huh. I don't know if I'm OK. I, I don't know, you know if I'm in good shape or not. So I better consult a professional which is great that they do that. I wish they'd do that far earlier, but uh, that's not too realistic in most cases. But I think that's one of the great services a financial planner can provide to their clients is doing a social security analysis and uh, in, in conjunction with the individual's circumstances as far as their work, their health, their, you know, maybe their family situation, all kinds of things like that. The social security system, as you know, is fairly complex. It's, it's not just about retirement age and things like that. There's lots of you know, spousal benefits and disability benefits and survivor benefits and the, the taxation. And if you take benefits before your full retirement age, it, you get, I don't know, penalized is the right word, but the earnings test, the earnings test, you get a deduction there. So I think financial planners can provide a great service to their clients sitting down and having that conversation with them about you know, in light of your circumstances, when does it make sense to uh, to start taking Social Security or should we start, as you just pointed out in your question, should we take money from your 401k or your IRA first or other sources and see if we can push back your your claiming age and decisions like that? Yeah, it really takes a team of financial and tax professionals, I think, to, and that's a whole new way opportunity because all these years we've been saving and accumulating and now we have to start using that money and that's a little intimidating and it can make a big difference right it this sequence of withdrawal and which you take out of money you take out of which fund first and the tax consequences of that right and if you're taking money from different buckets social security and maybe your personal savings or your 401k yeah. You start combining those and you can kick yourself into higher income brackets and higher uh, higher tax brackets. So it can get really complicated. And, and to your point, you know, all during our working years, I know we're encouraged to put as much money away for retirement as we can. And most of us do. But then it's a completely different, <laughs> different analysis on, OK, how do I start taking money out now? I think that's more complex, actually. Uh, which buckets do I take it from and when, and when do I claim social security and how are those decisions going to be impacted by taxes? So that's where I think a good professional advisor can really come in. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Well, we, we've gone on quite a while. I just have uh, one last question. What do you, based on your experience and knowledge, what are the top two or three most important takeaways for financial professionals helping their clients, and you may have already addressed this, but with their retirement planning and their social security decision-making. Yeah, I'll repeat something I said before. I just think that's a high value uh, service you can provide to your clients, advising them on social security and general retirement withdrawal strategies. But social security, as we mentioned, is a fairly complex animal. And I don't think most of us as consumers really thoroughly understand it. So I think a professional advisor can really help there. 
But number two, in order for them to help, they need to become experts as well. And uh, I think some planners and advisors have taken the time and made the investment in their professional development to make themselves experts mm-hmm. in social security. Others, not so much. Uh, I know there's a, um, there's a columnist in one of our trade publications who really specializes in social security. I want to say Mary Beth Franklin, and I hope that's I got it. That. Yeah. Investment oh. news. Yeah. yeah. She does such a great job. Boy, I, yeah. I, I read her and she, uh, she knows that system inside and out and, but reading that column, you know, that can help me, but I don't, you know, that by itself may not make me an expert uh, like she is uh, to be able to, to, to provide those services to my clients at an expert level. So I would really encourage advisors and planners to use the available tools and educational materials out there to get themselves up to speed to provide a real high value service to clients. Yes, it's really valuable. I agree. <laughs> So uh, just lastly, where can people go to follow you, find out more about your work or learn more about it? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Skip Schweiss. Uh, My friends follow me on Facebook as well. Uh, You can find me there. I do a lot of interviews like this and a lot of uh, podcast uh, interviews that it's always fun. This has been a fun conversation. So uh, probably just Google me and you'll find out more than you care to know about (laughs) there and where to find me. Well, thank you so much, Skip. This has been really fun. I could go on talking with you for quite a while. (laughs) It's been a great conversation. Great questions. Yeah. Thank you.